0: Morning. Morning Morning to those of you uh, watching online this morning as well. As that short video uh, said, it's introducing the last chunk of group of messages in a series, a study that we looked at the whole book of Acts or much of it. We started it back in September. Uh, and we'll conclude it the week before Easter Sunday, so we're launching in that direction. And this final uh, book of or, or group of messages, as we're studying the early church, picks up at the final phase of this mission. You might say the very beginning of the final phase. What do I mean by that? Jesus started this whole thing, Acts chapter 1. We looked at it in September, and he said, listen, the resurrected Jesus... Um, I want you to take the gospel to the world, but I do have an outline for you, right? I want you to start here, right, in your own backyard, Jerusalem, Judea. Then I want you to work towards Samaria. We saw this very geography happening in the first couple chapters of Acts 2, 3, 4, 5. You get to chapter 8, they're in Samaria. And then as soon as chapter 13, 14, the first missionary journey, we looked at it last week, they're beginning the final Um, leg of this journey, the one we're still in today, which is taking the gospel to all of the known world, even throughout all of time, okay, so that's where we are, but what we noticed last week, or what I should say we'll notice this week, is once they go and turn the dial into opening up the church to, I mentioned, I think my metaphor last week was the wild, wild west, that is to say, to people who were not born and raised in the in a country of Israel, who weren't Jewish background people, just as Jesus said, go into all the world. It's all good. Lots and lots of people become Christians. The, there's a tipping, there's a, a, a tipping point where all of a sudden the church, as early as Acts chapter 14, you know, only maybe 10 years have gone by, whatever the number is, all of a sudden a majority of the people are not Jewish background. It's wonderful. What Jesus said should happen was happening. However, as the identity of the church was changing, it began to raise some questions and some challenges. And so much so that all the leaders of the church, those who were the leaders at this time, including the apostles, they said, we need to get together and clarify what we're all doing here. So that this movement is not um, stalled. So that's where we are this morning. I'm gonna the, the, the point of this gathering, I don't know if you ever heard a message from Acts chapter 15, sometimes called the Jerusalem Council, you know, the the you know, the important people meeting, I don't know whatever you want to call it. As they got together, it was to discuss one topic, and that is the nature of the gospel, because the gospel is the the, um, the, 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 the power uh, and the purpose and the message that, has the, that animates the church. So that's what they want to talk about. Let's look at the opening verses of this important passage of Scripture, if you're with me. Acts 15, where we, kind of where we left off last week, the first 11 verses. My Bible, anyway, says it's not a part of the Scripture, but it's the title, The Council at Jerusalem. Certain people came down from Judea, you can think Jerusalem if you want, to Antioch, and were teaching the believers. So the the mother church comes down to the sort of new mission center in Antioch with some advice. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas, the leaders of the church in Antioch, into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed... Along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, we've seen these geographies before, a lot of people become Christians there, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So far, so good. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Interesting. One quick point I want to make on that verse is... When you see the name Pharisees, if you're like me, you read it and you—I have this one dimension, uh, you know, one picture that comes to mind right away. Pharisees, religious leaders in the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—they're kind of, you know, antagonists to Jesus. You might say they're the sometimes seen as the, the bad guys who actually arrest Jesus. Ultimately, are part of really seeing Jesus crucified, and they're and they're after the apostles in the early ch- chapters of Acts as well. But here, slow down. You know, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up. These people were not the bad guys, the moral police, the religious police trying to make up trouble. They were part of the church. Remember, Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. So just be careful as you read, uh, not everything is as it appears in your mind. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up, we know who he is, and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago... God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Note takers, Acts chapter 10. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. They skipped over, you know, the the circumcision, etc. Now then... Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Not only speaking of circumcision, but what circumcision pointed to, which was um, law obedience to the law. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Now, quick word or two, the nature of the gospel. When I read this, you know, I've read this many, many times. Maybe you have, your Bible reader. But as I'm preparing for this message, when I read verse um, 6, it kind of slowed me down. Because it said, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question after much discussion. I'm thinking, wait a minute. The church is 12, 15 years old. Jesus rose from the dead. The gospel has been preached. At this point, Probably, at least in Antioch, there's more Gentile background believers than there are non-Gentile background believers. None of them, as far as we know, would have even thought about being circumcised. That's never been an issue. Why all of a sudden would they even take time to have this discussion. I don't know what would be a good analogy. Let's say you and your wife decided, I don't know, to buy this car or sell this or, or do this. And it's done. It's in, the, it's in the history file. And all of a sudden, you, you, your wife or your husband say, you know, um, I want to talk about this. And you're like, what do you mean you want to talk about this? We've made that decision. That's history. That's kind of what I thought when I'm reading this verse. Like, why would they sit down and discuss whether or not some of the people, a majority of the people who are Christians in the church, needed to be circumcised, that is, to take a, do a Jewish rite, when they, they're Christians. You know, the train that left the station. But that's not really the question, I would say to you. It's not really, are they saying, do Gentiles need to be circumcised going forward, let's say, or do they, to be Christians because there were thousands of them that weren't. They, they were smart enough to know that. The real question being asked here is, the challenge is, they're, they're saying, listen, going forward, because the the work, the mission is just beginning. They've only had one missionary journey. There's all this work left to be done. They've got to cover the whole world. So going forward, we're not going to sweat those who are you know already in the camp here. We want to make sure that People, before they become Christians, they become Jews. Now we think, why would they do that? Think, listen carefully. For all the time prior to the times of Jesus, people could become, convert and become Jewish. We won't talk about that a lot. The technical term is proselyte, but there's a lot of them in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So if I was a, you know, just some kind of, Non Jewish person, whatever my background was, maybe I had no background of faith, but I liked the Jewish people. I admired them. I read, the, maybe someone talked to me about the Old Testament. I saw them going into the temple or in a synagogue. If I said I like what you guys got, I would like to become a part. Can I become a part of your your group? They said yes, you can. You can be a proselyte. And what you do is you get circumcised. And circumcision wasn't the main thing; it was a sign. It's kind of confusing. This, it was almost like if I wear a ring, that means you're married technically or in most cases so that's a sign it's not the marriage it's a sign circumcision was a sign that said i'm a i'm a law keeper of the old testament i'm submitting myself to the laws of god i uh, to the old covenant so what they said is we feel like we're glad people are becoming christians we're excited about doing what jesus said from all different backgrounds all different ethnicities all different countries we love it but A lot of these people have no background in the moral law of God, so we would like to make sure they go through the gate of law commitment, and circumcision is a way to do that, before they become a Christian or on their way to become a Christian. That's what they were saying. Now, as crazy as that sounds, this is, I, I thought about this when I was, here's an analogy for this. They out and out reject that advice, which is part of the point of this sermon, but I know, when I was uh, growing up, my grandmother, some of this is true for some of your grandparents or great-grandparents in this room, she was from another country. She was from Italy. She came when she was three or four years old, 20th century. A lot of people came, some of you know this, uh, uh, through your families or through history, uh, the great migration into the United States, particularly in the 20th century, Ellis Island, et cetera. That was my grandmother. Now, she told a story which a lot of other immigrants told, too. And they said, listen, when they came here, whether it's from Italy or or Germany or ultimately China or or, or Israel for that matter, they came here with all of their cultural values and they didn't have to get rid of their cultural values. But one parent after another said, as my uh, 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 grandmother's parents said to her, listen, honey, you're going to speak English in this household. Even though your parents don't speak very good English, you're going to speak English. You're going to dress a little bit different. We're going to slightly change the the vowel name at the end of your name. We're going to do everything in our power so that you can finish. Into this culture. Not because we're anti Italian, which was the case of my grandmother, or we're anti Chinese, or we're anti Jewish. It's not that at all. It's just that we want you to be successful here, and to be successful here, we want you to do everything you can to assimilate. It's kind of that mentality. And so these believers who were all, they believed Jesus was the Messiah but they respected the teachings of the Old Testament. They respected the values of the Ten Commandments. They respected the Old Covenant. They said, listen, we get it. Faith in Jesus died and resurrected, but we want everyone to go through the door of Judaism so that we're all kind of have the same value system, okay? Now, the apostles openly reject it. Why here? Peter rejects it, so does James. Why do they reject it? Here's why the leaders failed to grasp, this for you and me too, that the radical change that was brought about in the death or resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I think whatever verse that was, verse 9, they were thinking, here's what didn't happen in the early church. Jews weren't sort of accommodated. We didn't accommodate, I'm sorry, the Gentiles. The Gentiles weren't let in the back door. This is really a, a movement of Judaism. Now we might call it Christianity. We're going to let the non Jewish background people in the back door. We're going to accommodate them. No, that's not what it was at all. This was something radically different. I mentioned this one or two weeks ago. What Jesus was doing, what God was doing, I should say, through Jesus, was creating a whole new humanity. That's what he was doing. And in the heart of it is the gospel. And the first point that Peter's making here, I'm making here, is what is the gospel? It is a matter of the heart, right? Listen, brothers, sisters... Some time ago, Peter's Peter's a very important person in this story. God chose me to open up the door. God, who knows the heart, he accepted them, who's them? The non-Jewish background people, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He didn't discriminate between them and us. He purified their hearts by faith. No need to be circumcised. No need to pledge allegiance to the Ten Commandments. No, they, and, and, and even further, he goes on to say, listen, to be honest, friends, why would you want to put a yoke, his metaphor for the law, on the necks of these people to keep the law that, frankly, none of us kept? Think about that. The purpose of circumcision was to point to obedience to the law. Peter's saying, let's be honest, guys. We never kept it either. Now, they thought they did, but remember the great sermon on the mount Matthew 5, 6, and 7? This is what Jesus did. Jesus came and said, listen, it has been said, seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Raise your hand if you, you know, if you know the seventh commandment. Everyone raises their hand. He goes, but I say to you, how many of you have not committed adultery? They all raise their hand. Okay, now, let me tell you the real meaning of the seventh commandment. If you look at a woman that's not your wife and have any kind of desire towards her, ladies, if you look at a man that's not your husband, have any kind of unhealthy desire to you've broken the seventh commandment. They said, what? We never heard that. That's what it always meant. Sixth commandment. Well, uh, if you're angry at your friend because of this, that, and the other thing, and you've had a thought in your heart like you might want to punch them, he said, you've broken the sixth commandment. So what Peter's saying, listen, the law of God was never given so that we might become people of God. It's not the means to a relationship with God. The law of God was really a way to guard the people of God, sort of differentiate them for a season, talking about the history of Israel, keep them somewhat sanctified so that they could prepare for the ultimate gift. Here's a verse from the law, Deuteronomy chapter. This is from the law of God. This is the point Peter's making. The Lord your God, Deuteronomy chapter 30, will, future tense, circumcise your hearts. It's a metaphor. In other words, he's going to cut a, 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 he's going to free your heart from its hardness. Circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul. And listen, you're never going to be able to be who I want you to be to have someone who's from the inside out a genuine loving relationship with, with me and with others until your heart is circumcised. It's a matter of the heart. And friends, you could snap a line from Deuteronomy chapter 30 to Jeremiah chapter 31, first time the term new covenant is mentioned. Jeremiah says, this whole thing ain't working. You guys have, you guys have missed it. God's gonna make a new covenant with people and you can snap a line from Jeremiah 31 to the Last Supper. And that's what's happening here. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. in if we as Christians require something other than that for belief in our evangelism, we're not preaching the gospel. And if we're looking for other things other than the gospel to help us grow as Christians... We will fail. Only a deeper work of the gospel in your life can heal your marriage, can free you from guilt, release you from the bondage of materialism, etc. This is not just an early church problem, adding something to the gospel. It's an every church problem. I've said this before. One of my favorite verses in this season of my life. Psalm 143, verse 8. May the morning... Bring me word of your unfailing love for I put my trust in you. That's a daily bread kind of thing. You really want to experience the power of God in your life? You really want to know forgiveness at the deepest level? You want to get past antagonism and bitterness and judgment and all these things that eat up Christians every day? It's only one place to go, the gospel, and it's a matter of the heart. Amen? That's what they're saying here. Second thing in this passage. The gospel reveals who you are. Wow What do I mean by that? The gospel reveals who you are. Verse 12. The whole assembly became silent, okay as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, now a couple other people in the, in the game, telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. No circumcision with these friends either. When they finished, James, first time that guy comes name comes up, who's James? Not the one of the 12 apostles. That guy was martyred. He's already dead in this story in in Acts chapter 12. This is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ who's the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He gets the last word. James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon, otherwise known as Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets... Plural, so he's only going to quote one, but he's going to assume they're all in line. With this, as it is written, listen very carefully. He says, let me get meaning out of what's happening here right now. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. The gospel reveals who you are. Now, let me just walk you through this verse very quickly. What is he saying? He's saying, let me make meaning of what you got. What, meaning not only of the gospel message, but let me, let, me, let me make some meaning of what's happened here in the last many years in the church of Jesus. That's what, that's what James is saying, because that's why this councils together. What's going on? There's all kinds of people getting in here and we kind of like the fact that there's all kinds of people but it's kind of there's all kinds of uh, uh, challenges and questions and uncertainty and some people have had this backstory and some people don't eat this kind of meat and some people, you know, we needed some clarity here. That's the purpose of this meeting. Now, so what happens is here in this verse, he's gonna say, let me tie it all together for you. After this, the after this means what? He's quoting from Amos chapter 9. And the whole point of the book of, chapter, of Amos was God is going to... This is the, that's why he says all the prophets agree. Most of the prophets are more or less saying the same thing to both the northern and southern kingdom. God has given you a covenant. You've broken the covenant. You've been unfaithful. You're going into exile. And what happened was exactly that. First the northern kingdom, then the southern kingdom. And what happened was not only did they go into exile... It's ruins I will rebuild. Some of you know this story. Not only did they cart the people of God off, they came literally to the temple with axes. The Psalms, if you read some of the Psalms, they came in with axes and cut up all those cedar ceilings and all those beautiful tiles, and they took fire and they burned the thing to the ground. Now, he's he's prophesying not only is that going to happen, but he says, after this, this is the voice of God, the Lord, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. What is David's fallen tent? David's fallen tent is the, the nation of Israel. And they fell, and, they, and it was completely ruined. And he says, I will rebuild it, and I will restore it. This is God speaking. Now, how did he do that? Very quickly, Bible, in a, the whole history of the Old Testament in 70 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Jacob was... The father uh, was the um, grandson of Abraham. Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob was renamed Israel, the father of the nation of Israel. He had 12 sons. They failed. What the nation failed to do, the Jewish nation failed to do, the Jewish Messiah did in his death and resurrection. Jesus, also called the true Israel, he had 12 apostles. That's the new Israel. And one of those twelve apostles, in fact, the chief apostle, the one that gets most of the talking here, is a guy named Peter. But if you look at the end of the gospels, or if you read the gospels carefully, Peter was a ruined man. In fact, when the when the when the when the ladies, uh, uh, Mary, couple Marys, Salome, when they came in Mark chapter sixteen to the to the to the uh, empty tomb, and Jesus, the tomb's empty, they're all confused. An angel meets them there and says, listen, don't worry, he's risen from the dead, all good news. He told you, but you went in one ear and out the other. But she said, the angel said, listen, I want you to go to the disciples, listen very carefully, and Peter, and tell them to go up to Galilee, and I'm gonna meet them there. In, 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 in all the scholars that write about this, and maybe it's common sense, say, listen, why would you see the disciples in Peter? They didn't say the disciples in John and the disciples in, in Matthew and the disciples in, in Nathan and the disciples in Bartholomew. Why say the disciples in Peter? Because at this point, Peter was done. He denied the Lord. He'd, he'd hung up his cleats. He was out of the game. But at the very last page of the, of the Gospels, John 21, some of you know this story. Jesus Christ restores and rebuilds Peter. He says, I know, you're, I know you're, you failed miserably. I know you're a ruined man. But Simon, son of Jonah, you will be called Peter. The gospel tells you who you are. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And you're not done. And Peter, 51 or 55 days later, this broken, ruined man stands up and gives a sermon of a lifetime. Key number one, he opens the church of Jesus Christ. We looked at this in September. 3,000 people are saved. Oh, my goodness. But he's not done. Seven years later, Acts chapter 10, he opens the door. That's what he's mentioning here in these verses. The Lord chose me to open the door to Gentiles. The first Gentile believer becomes a Christian. Jesus Christ, the new Israel, picks 12 men, and he starts the new church by rebuilding them. Some of you know my story. When I was a senior in high school, it would be an understatement to say I didn't know who I was. And I was, who am I? What am I doing? I had no idea where I was going. As late as my middle of my senior year, I didn't know what I was, I didn't, if I was going to college, I hadn't, I had no idea where, I, I didn't apply in schools. I never took the SAT. You know, I was, for me, it was all about living in the moment. Many, uh, uh, on the outside, at times, maybe I was happy. On the inside, not so much. My f- the, the first week of December of that year, my senior year in high school, I flipped my uh, car, me and two guys, goofing around, having fun. Miracle, scrapes and bruises, we survived. Literally, upside down, flipped the car. Ruined it. Three weeks, almost to the day, New Year's Eve of my senior year in high school, I was hitchhiking, I would hit by a car and uh, survived that, obviously, but one of my good friends, he worked at the gas station that was right um, where this accident happened in West Aranaquay, and he said to me, Rob, I came out, he was working at the gas station, he said, I saw this accident happen, and I said, all I saw was you laying on your back in a snowbank, all I could see was the whites in your eyes, I thought you were dead. Okay, I thought you were dead. But, by the grace of Almighty God, I would say that was the end of the beginning. And for the next nine months, God sent me one person after another. People prayed for me. And at the next beginning of that year, of that fall, I should say, uh, all came together. I opened my heart and my mind and received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And, and somehow, I got into a really good college. I went to seminary, and the rest is history. But here's the point. God f- intervened and chose me for his name from the Gentiles. That's what he does. He does. Right? The gospel is not only a matter of the heart, right? but the gospel tells you who you are. Are you listening? Right? May the morning bring me word of your unfailing love so that I put, my, I, I put my trust in you. That's how you know who you are, and that's how you know where you're going, which is my final point. The gospel is a matter of the heart. The gospel reveals who you are. The gospel is why we're here. Right? That's why we're here. The second verse of this prophecy. There's so much in these few words. I, after this, I'm going to return and build David's fallen tent. I'm going to rebuild you. I'm starting Israel all over again, and you're a part of it. That, so that, right? if you're, a, you're someone who's a word person, so that, right? prepositions are everything, that the rest of mankind, wow, that Jesus really, so listen, I'm just going to say all people, the, the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who bear his name. Listen, whatever you do for a living, whatever you do between 8 and 5, um, whatever, however we describe it these days, this is the purpose of your life. Okay? This is the purpose of your life when God sends you into that office, into this schoolhouse, into this hospital. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord so we can share the gospel with them. That's the purpose also of our church. And connecting more and more with this deeper purpose of your life. God wants you to be a nurse and a in a school teacher, and, and that's the means that's where you need to be. Don't change your profession. But in that place where you are, it's to, it's to share the gospel in winsome ways. And it's there you will be connected with the deepest joy in life. That's what James is trying to say here and what I'm trying to say here. It's the purpose of our church as well, the local church. I stood up here um, January 7th, not that long ago. So if you weren't here, uh, you, you, I'm telling you something you haven't heard before. But we had, our elder board launched this little mini campaign. Okay, to raise a million dollars in 90 days, and the purpose of that had to do with vision, and I think I've already said this, but in in about three and a half weeks, you raised 1.2 million dollars. You said, great, we trust you, here you go. Now, some people have said to me since then, Rob, what was that about? Were you guys kind of in trouble? Is that why you raised money? Like, it's okay if that happens. No, that's not. We're not in trouble. That's not why we raised the money. The purpose of raising that money was really to, was part of a larger advancing a vision conversation because your elder board got together. You know, we do this, COVID was this long hangover and we finally came out of it in some ways in in 22 and 23. And we got together and said, we want to get together and focus more intentionally on the near future and future of the church. That's what elders are certainly supposed to do. So we started doing that, and this debt reduction was just one way, an easy first step way, to help advance a mission discussion. But we have been getting together, I mentioned this, I hope, in those days, to say, and and, and seeking the Lord, almost like, made me think of when I was studying this week, this little gathering of all the, you know, leaders here saying, what are we about? What do we need to change? Where do we need to go? Just this last week, we, a group, your whole elder board, got together and had a meeting. And that meeting was kind of a mini retreat, I should say. There's only one objective, and it was really to talk, to answer this question, where does God leading us as a church now? That was the purpose of this meeting. This is what we did. We had three questions. You know, three hours plus that we want to just ask and pray and and whiteboard on. The first one was this. What are the needs of the people that live in this community? That is, the, 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 the communities, the neighborhoods, and the city. What are the needs... And we quickly went from, you know, practical needs to spiritual needs. What are the spiritual needs of the people that live right now in this community? Penfield, Pittsburgh, uh, uh, whatever. Uh, 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 Aranda the city of Rochester. What are the needs as best we could understand them? Question number two. What is the collective potential of this church right now, right? Because the the, the, the demography of our church changes too. Who are the people in Browncroft? Who are they? What do they do for a living? What's their background? What's their passions? Are they engineers? Are they teachers? Are they they musicians? Who are they? What's their passions? Who is the collective potential we have? Whiteboard. And then the third question was, because we're sitting here with the leaders of this church anyway, not all of them, but but a group of your elders, and said, what's on your hearts? We want to know what's on your hearts. See, that's that's what this meeting's about. Right? Scriptures here too, of course, but what, what is God, because we believe that God also speaks to the leaders. What's on your heart? We ended, with, we ended with this exercise. It's called the, I'd never done it before, it was called the Head, Heart, and Feet Exercise. And it was just asking simple questions. You know, what are you thinking now that you spent three hours doing this? What are you thinking? All the others, we just did a certain, this whole thing, only took 15 minutes. It wasn't a long exercise because we'd been there for three hours. And I have this little prop. What is this funny thing? You're, this is a paperweight. It was given, and, and, and I, the reason we used it, or I think I chose it anyway, was, uh, you can't see it, of course, from here, but it has the insignia of the city of Rochester. The mayor gave it to me a handful of years ago. And it's just, it's in my office on a shelf, and it's a reminder to pray for the city. But we took this little prop, and all you know 15 17 of us whatever was in the meeting we all stood around and and we all had to answer three questions and real quick you know rapid succession you had two minutes what are you thinking after this exercise of thinking about our calling as a church what are you feeling after this exercise of thinking about our calling as a church and feet is what's the next step what is God calling us to do at this time, at this moment, in this local church? What is the next step for us, do you think, as a church right now? That was the exercise. And I, you have to ask the elders if you know any of them. I was, my cup was full. I was inspired, but it now for us is the beginning or the end of the very beginning. Now we want to invite you okay as we go forward and one of the ways just one of the ways we can do this this is an ongoing work is what we are doing here Um, it was mentioned uh, by Tricia Smith at the opening video is a prayer meeting okay just one step right but how do we know what God wants us to do we need to pray and ask him and hopefully I want you all to be doing that as I've said before now and I hope you're doing that, and you're not only praying for your own life and God's call in your life, but God's call in the life of this church, right? It's Acts 29. We're still in this. God is not done. If he was done, he'd come back. But he's calling us, and every church needs to re-ask this question because it's a new day. The problems of today are not the problems of yesterday. The people in this community, spiritual needs of today are different than they were of yesterday. How is God calling us in new ways, in renewed ways, to be the church of Jesus Christ here? I know this, it has everything to do with the gospel. The gospel is a matter of the heart. God didn't differentiate or, or, or discriminate. There's no, we don't need to do that. It's for everybody. Two, it tells you who you are if you and I want to be truly um, effective gospel witnesses in our lives where we are, you need, to, you need to know who you are, right? Another one of my favorite verses, you know, um, this is my son and who I am well pleased, hear him. Why, why, did, why was that voice from heaven given when Jesus was baptized? But Jesus says, it's not for my sake. <laughs> I, know who Je- I know who my father is. I know what he thinks about me. He's for your sake, Right? You need to hear that if you're a Christian. You need to hear, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased, right? Every day. The world's telling you all kinds of things about who you are, okay? We're gonna do a whole series, I should have mentioned this last hour, post-Easter. I've been thinking, praying about it. Pray for me on identity, right? What does it mean to be a, a, made in God's image and to be a, a person, a, a Christian in this world today? We, we need to answer that question because the gospel tells you who you are, but ultimately it's what we're supposed to be about, right? So I'm encouraging you. Prayer meeting, Trisha mentioned it. Join us this Wednesday, 6.30, starts in this room Little time of worship and prayer. We're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. I think Trisha mentioned this. But then, we're, there's there's places. We did this model last spring, around the uh, campus. Different experiences. Everybody, families, singles, married. Everyone's a, can, is a, uh, there is childcare if you need it. Go to that website behind me if it's up there. If you, we'd love to know if you're coming. You can, um, wherever you call it, register. But be a part of it. Now, last year we did this one other time. I think we had 200-plus people here. And if you're in the church business, that's a lot of people for a prayer meeting. (laughs) I mean, but uh, uh, I'd like to see us have this many people, right? Why not have 900 people at a prayer meeting? Amen, Sam? Amen? All right, so that's my challenge. Amen. Let's pray. God and Father, thank you for this time this morning. We love you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, I just pray uh, for us as a congregation. Lord, I I pray that um, our our best days would be ahead. That, Lord, we would would, um, be used of you to do things we have never even imagined, Lord in the um, suburbs of this town, in the city of Rochester, in our partnerships around the world. Lord, may we become, Lord, your instrument here, uh, boldly and, 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 and courageously, knowing who we are and knowing whose we are and going into a world that is so um, confused and so in um, uh, degrees of moral and spiritual darkness, that we might, Lord, humbly and gratefully uh, bring to all mankind, to those who seek the message of the gospel of Jesus, the, the life-changing, liberating, eye-opening um, love-centered message of the gospel. And we pray, I pray, Lord, that you would do something um, truly amazing in, in Browncroft Community Church. Begin with us in this room, in Jesus' name, amen.